Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hi Victor, how are you today? Hi, hi there, I'm very well, a bit cold here in Scotland, it was minus seven in the morning. Bloody hell, yeah, I mean here it was minus six, which is quite rare for, you know, other southerners, because, you know, the moment it goes below ten, we're sort of freezing. But I mean, having said that, having said that, I was in Iraq, um, uh, last week and you know it's it's sort of pretty hot but but um it was about 20 degrees over there in in Iraq and everyone was wearing coats thick layered yeah. coats and jumpers and I was in you know like um yeah just one shirt and and they looked at me with horror and they said you know how are you in a shirt and I'm like mate this is uh this is summer for us back home and then and then I came back here and I was wearing a coat and everything and everyone else was in uh, t-shirts and shorts. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of crazy when you are not living in the UK. I remember when I came here first and it was sometime in March and people were like, you know, they were in t-shirts only because there was a bit of sun, but it was like eight degrees or something. Yeah. So, yeah, here is a bit different. As soon as you see a bit of sun, you go into this kind of summer mode yeah yeah it's 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 weird i mean you know i went to scotland in in august in in the middle of summer and it was raining windy cold and sort of everything else and i thought oh my god if this is if this is august forget it yeah but summer is not bad in scotland i would say i mean it's, it's definitely more more rainier than than um maybe in spring uh well, it's it's an odd day with very cold weather in in summer here. It's yeah, just yeah. gray, dark, and rainy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I love coming to Scotland. You know, here down in the south, people really mm-hmm. acknowledge you as a human being. It's you know, they just sort of avoid you. Whereas, you know, up in Scotland, you can have a you know a proper human interaction. I would hope so. Yeah. So, so what, what, um, what made you leave ho- the home country of Poland? Oh, like many things in life, it's kind of random, random things in life happen. So, it was just coincidence of ending of my GP training in Poland. The uh, the Polish government was changing the type of exams, and there was like a couple of months gap between me finishing the training and doing the exams and I thought I'll I'll maybe go and see a bit of world and earn some money and there there was opportunity to come to UK and and I came for a couple of months and now I'm here 15 years so yes. yeah no there was yeah. no plan to it <laughs> so so how is the GP training different in Poland compared to here uh, it's not really different, honestly, because the formal training has been created 
at the end of 90s uh, formalized and it was based on existing uh, training programs in Europe and very similar to UK. So essentially you have two years of hospital training posts and then two years of GP registrar in GP practice. So that's pretty much like, like in UK. And, and, and what attracted you to um, general practice? I think this diversity of it. So before, before I started training as a GP, I did a couple of years of training in um, general medicine as like internal medicine. And this, this this job was interesting, but it was kind of starting a bit routine and mundane, and it was mainly, you know, geriatrics. Uh, so uh, GP is kind of work that gives you a lot of variety in terms of population of patients and problems, problems that they present with. So it's not only medical issues, but also social problems, psychological problems, a, a bit more than just bodily illness. Yeah, you know, I, I I guess after five years of medical school, there's only so much um, systems management you can handle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got bored straight away. I think after the I think the second year, I thought, oh, my God, I'm in the wrong course here. You know, it's just too, um, yeah, it's, it's too restrictive, you know, just protocol after protocol. And I thought to myself, mm, I've made the wrong yeah. decision here. So look, looking backwards now, if I would imagine, you know, carrying on as an internal medicine physician consultant, uh, that, that would probably be the job I would leave. Because yeah, I mean, you know, the, yeah. there's, there's a certain level, you reach certain level of competency, skills and so on. And uh, as I said, there's this, this, this kind of uh, narrow narrow area narrow field of your interest which is nothing wrong with it uh it's essentially it wasn't particularly attracting or fulfilling yeah i mean looking back and you know if i was a medical student in 2024 i would leave the course within six months i think you know doing medicine because i think to myself no this is not this is not who who i am and what I'd want to be, you know, knowing that, you know, how how much we, we've advanced as a civilization and, you know, the technology that we have. And if, if I was to do a career today in 2024, it would be something along the lines of broadcasting um, or just authoring or just, you know, just spending time on the computer 24-7, you know, <laughs> trying to find an earning somehow. But it certainly wouldn't be doctoring for sure. I sorry think guys kind of, sorry <laughs> yeah i think there's a bit like you know trap here for young people because you actually have to make these decisions very early in your life and then you know when you're yeah. in high school you essentially are still not adult you don't really know much about life and then then you decide you know about medicine for example and for many people it's it's definitely not what they expected or were sold. Yeah. And I see that a bit different now. Yeah, I have a students from Edinburgh on kind of co a special course. This is a course where they uh, uh, enroll uh, students with already older, uh, older students who already were on some kind of medical or biomedical uh, training. 
So this nurses or paramedics and, and these are like much older people. And the, the, the way they are looking at things is completely different compared to other students that are like, you know, they are like kids. They still don't grasp it. You know, they come, they are interested, but I think they still don't understand what it takes and what's in front of them. So, so this awareness... Still... This awareness is, is, I think, important. And then for many people, younger people, like, you know, when you decide in high school going into medicine, it might be really, you might be misled. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, why do you think the mature, the, the more mature students still want to do medicine, given that they, they have a better clue about the realities of, of, of medical world? I think I think you would have to start, you know, why people are doing medicine. So you can hear different stories. Some people will tell you that they always wanted to help others. Others will tell you that someone was a relative was was unwell and that mm. made them this boost. Uh, I never had this kind of deep, unfortunately deep uh, motivation. It was just mixture mm. of uh, external factors like you know my parents were in medicine my father was a doctor my mom is a nurse i had a uh, friends uh, who had either parents who were doctors and uh, pupils from my high school many of them were planning to go to medicine so it wasn't really that conscious decision and i think that's yeah. The difference is, you know, when you have a bit of experience in your life, you're more likely to take this decision more deliberately with kind of intention. I don't yeah, know. It yeah. works for for other for other people, but uh, I think there yeah. is something to it. When you have experience, you see things a bit different. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the personal narrative is 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 very powerful. That that's the thing that drivers, you know, from the core. Um, and as you get sort of, as, as you said, more experience and, you know, older, you know, you, you realize that there are other factors involved. I mean, I'm in a situation where I've turned into someone who's good at, I care, you know, whether, whether I like it or not. And there's not many eye doctors out there. So, you know, being of a rational mind, it makes sense just to keep going, even though it's not super enjoyable, but you know, it makes sense, rational sense, yeah. you know, that's as far as it goes, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's, would you be the best eye doctor in the world? No, I don't think so. Uh, competent, yes, but not like your special calling. So I'm still kind of looking for that. I'm, I'm still looking for that special calling. Um one of my special callings is actually connecting with people and making friends and which is why I do this thing. Cause you know, I find that interesting and um, it's an excuse for me to sort of reach out and see what other people are doing. Yeah. So maybe that's my special calling. I don't know. Again, that depends. What do you define as best doctor and yeah. what does that actually mean? You know, if you measure it like uh, by um, you know, lots of money, lots of money, lots of Ferraris, you know, being being on the power list, number one power mm -hmm. list, you know, all that kind of metrics, you know, that kind of I stuff. Don't I don't know. I, th <laughs> I think, you know, you're a best doctor for the patient. Like, true, what are you true. doing? You know, uh, those those metrics, this is very kind of, I don't know, not not particularly 
relevant honestly yeah i mean i think i'm a good yeah i'm good for my patients and you know i do the best that i can uh not quite i haven't got a letter from the gmc uh just yet so uh <laughs> but there's still Don't time go there. yeah there's still time you know there's still time for that to come along um so the gp training is sort of relatively similar in poland compared to here and you know you 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 wanted that sort of broad uh scope of of work and and um challenges that sort of come along um so what attracted you to stay uh, did did you go straight to scotland was that where you went straight to from uh, in poland initially i was a couple of months in brighton and then i moved to scotland after 6 months uh so my that first was a big my jump. first that was a big jump from 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 south to to north yeah yeah that's that's definitely a difference uh so the first job that i got here i wasn't really as a gp it was like it was one of those jobs for dwp when you assess people with disabilities and that was like you know awful job <laughs> <laughs> but it gave me it gave me you know some uh, space and time to find for a, G -G, a GP job. And GP job came up uh, in Scotland. It was a rural job in Stranraer. Stranraer is a small town in southern Scotland uh, with a ferry port to Ireland, uh, to Belfast. And uh, they had a small rural hospital there. So I was doing a couple of things there, like normal GP in the practice, out of hours GP, and I covered covered the hospital part of their small A&E and uh, medical ward. So there was a lot of interesting things happening, uh, a lot of learning. The difference between countries is uh, definitely um, significant, not only in terms of weather, um, but I, I've been here 15 years. I, I, I love Scotland. It's a great country. Why? Why? What is it? What, what is it that sort of kept you here? I think people are people are great. They are genuine. They are, they, yeah. they, you know, in England, I think that like everyone is smiling. You have all this small talk. Everyone is nice, but there's no any depths to it here. You know, there's no this thing. People are nice or they just tell you off. <laughs> if if they, they just say, you know, straight to your face what they think. Um, but they, they are good people, honest people, and uh, the country is great. You know, they're beautiful. I like outdoors, so I have, you know, maybe an hour to go into mountains, which is one of my kind of, what I call it, walking psychotherapy, uh, so my escape from the routine. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, to like here. Um. What what is it that that sort of you didn't like apart from the weather, of course, and you know what what was it that that you felt? Mm, how am I going to handle this? Uh, nothing particularly striking my mind, honestly. That I would say I don't like. Uh, it's maybe uh, not Scotland as such. It's it's is more about NHS rather than country. So that's that's the only type uh, type of thing that is kind of problematic here. Um, for various reasons, uh, but people in the country, everything is okay here for me. And and uh, what's your biggest bugbear at the time about the NHS? <laughs> you don't have so much time, either. Yeah, so 
where do I start? I, I, I think it's a great idea, but it's not anymore uh, compatible with what's happening in the world, how people are uh, looking at healthcare. Um... I mean, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, I, I think it was still okay. Yeah. When I came here, it was completely different. Yeah. It was really different. Now it's, it's deteriorated a lot. Uh, so it's it's going into direction in which it neither provides good care and neither cares for its staff. So nobody's winning here. Um, patients and and you know when did you realize that change? When 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 did you realize that? Uh, oh, this is this is going in the wrong dire direction. It's been it's been much longer than you know. Some people maybe think it's COVID or something, but it's, it's been a few years before COVID. Things were gradually getting worse. Um, yeah, it's been good few years. Yeah, I mean, could you sort of pinpoint, you know, the. Um... The catalyst or the reason why it's sort of gone down. I mean, apart from, you know, political parties and so on. I think you can't ex you can't escape it. You know, it's like mm. NHS is not actually. I don't look at it as health service. It's like political organization, mm. and this actually uh, is causing a lot of of problems and obstacles. Mm. So you have you have problems. Uh, with uh, lack of funding, which is one mm. of the biggest issues. The second thing is culture and the organization, uh, which does not value its staff. Uh, yeah. And again, this, this kind of influence of politicians, which is not in any way productive or beneficial to anyone. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and how about managerial meddling? Do, do you think that's played a big part? So the problem with with uh, NHS managers, uh, I think the problem is that there's no really understanding between uh, uh, staff on the whole uh, shop floor and managers, and the communication is not great. And uh, certain people really don't have skills to be managers. I think there's a lot of like you know, as a part of progression. So you've been a um, at the top of your clinical. Uh, skills, training, and so on. And the next step is kind of managerial leadership role. But many people don't have those skills. They don't have an experience outside the NHS. So you, when you're in NHS, you start at 20 something and you're all your life is in NHS. Uh, while um, the commercial companies are run a bit different. And I don't think so. This, this, you know, I mean, it's maybe increasing a bit, you know, training for this leadership roles and so on. But for this middle middle role people, it's not, they're not very um, flexible. They're not open-minded. They're not accountable. They're often scared of taking decisions. And all those things impact how the services are organized and provided. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, certainly, you know, kind of complete vision um i mean you know they they have it there on paper but you know the implementation is something else and um certainly it's much more complicated now compared to before and much more complex and they seem to be adding to the complexity rather than simplifying the uh you know the way things work and adding more people to the uh to the recipe um or more cooks to the recipe i think that's um you know causing a lot of problems um, I'm a believer of, 
uh, you know, clinicians involved in management. Um, and if they need training, then then so be it. Because um, I think, you know, having a clinical uh, background and, a, you know, uh, a knowledge of what goes on on the shop floor is sort of absolutely essential. Um, and I think the managerial skills can be learned. And I think the, the leadership skills can be learned as well. Um, but the clinical skills needs needs to go through a process of apprenticeship, and that and that takes time. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, this 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 disconnection for sure, and things could could be made better, but that's tough. I mean, do you, do you, do you think we should devolve the the NHS? Do you think that's sort of a way forward? I mean, it's devolved in Scotland, so in theory, you know, there's no really mm. any influence from England, except a kind of excuse about the money, that it's kind of some kind of connect connected, associated with the money flowing back from London to Scotland. But all the decisions here are devolved already, so um, it's difficult for current government here to blame um, UK government for, for their failures. I mean, do you, do you think it needs to be devolved locally, like even further devo uh, devolution? Ideally, I think so. The, mm. the the central governance being tried for so many years, it doesn't seem to work. Yeah, yeah. And and what was your feeling that, you know, maybe this isn't right for you or you need to move on or something needs to change? Well, I had some hard time a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, I can you can say I I reached kind of burnout stage. Uh, so there, there definitely were signs like you know, complete lack of interest in the job and lack of satisfaction, frustration, indifference. So yeah, I reached that stage uh, at certain point, and my uh, what happened? Lucky. I essentially like left the job and took maybe six weeks off just to re-evaluate re everything, to reflect on things. Um, and and um, I arrived, you know, to the kind of conclusions that the job made me unwell and I need to change things. So I used to work like full-time doctor doing out of hours. So it was like, you know, more than full-time. And... I understood that you know there's there's only a certain amount of things that you can you can be everything for everyone. Um, you need to set boundaries. You need to start taking care of yourself. Uh, yeah. So yeah. So there was a sort of period of time that that I was in bad place, like from burnout kind of symptoms. And after after a couple of weeks break. Uh, I returned, but on a part-time basis and started looking into developing other things like uh, in your life, not only, not only uh, professionally, so paying more attention to family, friends, reconnecting with people, taking care of yourself, exercising a bit, eating healthier, um, learning new things. Um, so that was my kind of way out of it. And so far, it seems to work. Do you reconnect with with old hobbies? Were there any old hobbies you went back to? It was more reconnecting with people. 
so what, obviously you know there was this uh this uh, barrier because i left the country and i lost contact with many people even uh, with my own parents and it took some time to realize you know when you're so busy with work you don't even appreciate those things so that that was really important to me to get back to these people um and pay pay more attention to your closest loved loved ones spending more time dedicating more time and care to them and 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 how did that change you as a person reconnecting with back home and parents and and loved ones yeah i, I would say i feel i'm feeling better and i'm a better person i would hope so <laughs> bold bold words yeah yeah i feel better in myself i feel kind of more fulfilled i feel that uh, i'm doing you know more um, valuable things in life so some kind of fulfillment yeah i mean i noticed what you know what once i came out of my burnout that that i was actually smiling with my patients and just having a normal human conversation rather than just you know going through the professional uh process of of uh processing the patient you know yeah. so un unfortunately you know this the problem with that i encountered is is happening to many people and um i don't know what what is the way around it uh what could be done that people don't reach this stage you know how can you make people more aware of making themselves healthier safer feeling better before yeah. they reach really this turning point i don't actually think it's possible to to be honest you know having experienced what i've experienced and other people that i've spoken to as well i think it's like a a rite of passage sort of thing you know, this is part and parcel of the whole career process. And, <laughs> um, you know, unless you go through it, you won't understand it. I mean, I recently had, um, you know, um, an eye issue and I had to go to the hospital and sit in the waiting room and get examined and go through the whole anxiety of not knowing what what the surgeon was going to say and the procedure. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's so mind-bending and... Uh, the experience just changes you as a person. So every time I see a patient now, I'm thinking, wow, you know, I can feel what you're feeling and understand what you're going through. And no matter how much you read it in the textbook or, you know, uh, role play in exams and so on, unless you go through it. So, I mean, it's it's a difficult one. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult one. Unless you experience the burnout yourself, it's kind of, it doesn't really sink in. Yeah, you're you're probably right. I mean, just I can definitely relate to you know. <laughs> but but we can still talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I can still relate, you know, to to power of experience, not only burnout, but like you know, as a patient, I think it's it's kind of enriching doctor when yeah. they have this experience as a patient. So I, I I luckily touch wood didn't have any major health issues, but I had a couple of you know problems when I needed doctor's help, and and only then you can understand, you know what is going on people's mind when they are unwell you know this kind of health concerns and anxiety i don't know if my was probably heightened because i'm a doctor so i always uh, make things even worse you know worst, worst case scenarios uh to you know to 
to consider but it's definitely you know one of those and it's the same the same you know recently i was uh, speaking to someone uh, they were talking about um, seeing uh, children in a clinic and they don't have children and i think it's until you have your own children you know you you will not be able to grasp this uh, parental anxiety and concern so yeah, so there's, there's certain things in life that you need experience to have some kind of deeper understanding. And that, you know, that may help uh, you to be a better doctor. No, I mean, I mean, I agree with you. You know, you still need to talk about these issues. I mean, all issues need to be discussed so that we have all perspectives and, you know, um, make sure there's no blind spots um, in these aspects. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of people out there who are, who, who are silently suffering and you know if we can relieve some of their anxiety and their stress and their and their distress you know i think it goes a long way and uh, yeah i mean it's a big deal when it when it comes from people like ourselves where you know we don't really uh talk about these soft stuff um i remember when i released my book um seven years ago yeah it was a big deal it was it was it was a big deal for people around me because you know, how can this tough, you know, super resilient, unbreakable, you know, surgeon that that the sort of gallivants around the world doing all sorts of stuff, you know, turn into a sort of a a, a mess, <laughs> you know, a burnt out crisp yeah. uh, of a man. So, um, yeah, that was interesting. That was interesting. So, 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 you know, how, how, how have you changed since then? You know, I mean, you said that sort of you've got more energy and, you, you know, you sort of reconnected with um, loved ones, but sort of. I definitely, is... you know, regained my passion for medicine. Mm, so wow. one of, mm. one of the things that was particularly painful was like, I hated this job. I could, I, 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 it was like, you know, the stage that I was completely disinterested, you know, and, uh, that's, that's one of the things that, uh, came back to me. So I really enjoy it, you know, like practicing medicine and learning medicine again, because like, you know, we all are learning medicine every day as a constant learning. Uh, so yeah, I think I, I think one of those things is like passion for medicine that that came back. Wow, well, yeah, that that's that's really you know powerful. I mean, I don't want to keep parroting what 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 sort of you say, but yeah, um, I've fallen back in love with ophthalmology um, again, and and just interested in pathology. Whereas before it was, oh no, I hope they don't have a pathology and I've got to sit here and do extra work and, you know, spend more time with this patient and so on. You know? <laughs> Whereas now it's sort of, you know, you you, you realise that this is um, a great opportunity for, you know, further human connection. So wh where, where did you get this interest about digital health and artificial intelligence? Has that always been an interest for you or, or did it develop recently? Yeah, so maybe not artificial intelligence as such, but I always was one of those early adopters. So, you know, I had like, you know, first uh, first iPhone or like, you know, first Alexa, this kind of thing. So that that all always excited me, you know, how, how those things are um, changing the, you know, the, the world. 
uh, obviously uh, last year since you know the release of uh, chat gpt there's a lot of ai talk about ai and i kind of you know chipped in here and there about that and learned about this but um i wouldn't say that's the main kind of you know um, main interest of mine it's essentially technology and how it can be used to make uh, patients journey better and doctors work better easier so you're a kind of closet engineer then, are you? <laughs> no, I don't know. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a kind of enthusiast and passionate about uh, those technologies and then sharing my knowledge, what I'm learning with others, and hopefully hopefully can um, kind of spread a bit of additional sort of knowledge and interest in other people. Do you, do you give tips to, to patients about, you know, different technologies and things like that? Do, do, do you really. sort of integrate it in, into the consultation? Not yet, honestly. I mean, mm. that's a mm. completely different story. That's that's nice. really a tricky thing to integrate in the clinic. Right. Um, this, this, again, there's a bit of differences between Scotland and England in terms of how all this IT stuff is working. So we have really a limited amount of uh, digital tools here to use. Mm. And... Uh, it's changing, but it's very slowly compared to England. There's, there's a lot of uh, additional, you know, tools that uh, GPs can use, uh, which are not available in Scotland. And it's not only a matter of uh, creating one, but it needs to be integrated with all, with other systems that are in place. And this this is one of the obstacles. Uh, so you have number of people involved, a company that's creating some digital solution, and you have a local NHS and national NHS, and then you have uh, software companies who are providing other digital solutions already in place. So to make all those things like uh, play like in orchestra, it takes a bit of time, but I'm I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful. Are you, are you, are you thinking coming down south if it's, if it's a bit more orchestrated down here? Oh no, that that'd be you know that'd be too much. <laughs> <laughs> that that's not enough motivation for me to move. Fair no, enough. No, no, no. Fair, fair, I I, I think I think I'm done with you know with uh, changing locations. So you yeah. know some GPs are moving to New Zealand, New Zealand, yeah. Australia. But I I think my place is here, and what I would like to do is you know try to try to make things better here to as much as I can influence things, you know. And and are you an Android person or an or an uh, iPhone person? I am Android person, yes. Yeah. Despite having I having iPhones earlier, uh, but I am Android person, yeah, for good few years. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's quite interesting, you know, how yeah, I mean I used to be an iPhone person, but I'd I'd never go back. I'd never go back to iPhone. I mean family members have iPhones and yeah, I just don't say anything to them. I just sort of carry on with my device happily, <laughs> you know, without, you know, without remorse or guilt. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of like, you know, prefer preference rather than anything else. This, this days, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, Apple was really at forefront, but uh, all those Androids, uh, mobile phones, they're they're caught up with all the all the solutions capabilities. So, yeah. 
So, I mean, if, you know, hypothetically speaking, if if you had all the budget and all the personnel and the technology in place, what would you like to see changed in your era, uh, area in terms of general practice and, you know, 2024? Yeah, so the funny thing is, you know, people are talking a lot about, you know, AI and so on, uh, how it's going to replace doctors. Uh, so... What people on the ground require is not that. So we need kind of uh, release from burden from administration. So uh, digital tools can be used to automate a lot of things, a lot of paperwork, um, blood test results, letters, all those things can be kind of put through digital solutions, AI. And that can uh, release, you know, doctors from these mundane tasks and buy them some more time uh, for provision of of care. So that that uh, that would be my kind of priority. Not not putting AI into in front of patient and asking a chatbot to, you know, diagnose a patient. I don't think so. That's really necessary at the moment. And. Uh, we're not yet there, but uh, there's so many simple things that can be improved. So automation of those mundane ad administrative tasks, uh, improvement of, of uh, existing infrastructure, uh, making things um, uh, talk, talking to each other. So in my practice, I have like three, three software, three programs that I need to use during consultations. One is to, you know, is a patient records. The second one is additional patient records that stores uh, letters. And the third one is for reviewing blood tests and requesting blood tests. And they're uh, from different companies. You have to use different uh, um, passwords, logins. They don't sometimes interact. So making those things a bit more smooth would be uh, much easier. You know, I wouldn't have to spend five minutes waiting for it to start working uh, five minutes a day or so many days in a year, it's, it's a waste of time. Then what I have in my practice is completely different what is in a hospital, in the hospital clinics. There's no any flow of information between secondary and primary care. So if I had this money that you're saying, I would, I would focus on making, you know, uh, this communication and exchange clinical information between uh, all the stakeholders more fluent, um, more kind of effective. Uh, so instead, A&E doctor calling me to check if my patient who's there uh, can have antibiotics X, Y, Z because he's saying he's um, allergic, he would see that on his screen from my from my electronic records. So, so we don't have to necessarily use AI for everything. The simple things that could be improved, uh, automated, um, and as I said, like uh, this, this communication between systems is uh, crucial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. And and when when did you? I mean, you you you've essentially sort of reached out into, into sort of other spheres. Um, you know, outside the primary primary care what 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 was the catalyst behind that and you know what what got you interested in it uh not sure what you're referring to uh what you talking about either which you know the yours? um you know the sort of 
going out into the digital world and and right. you know hel I, I, helping organizations yeah yeah connect with physicians yeah so that actually stems from what i said before you know so if, uh, if you look at the at the uh, digital companies uh, it's usually tech people they have mm -hmm. skills to create some kind of uh, digital software solutions and so on but uh, they don't understand how medicine works so the problem often is that they start with a solution, but uh, it doesn't necessarily answer the problem. Uh, so it's important for for uh, digital um, companies, kind of creating digital solutions, to have clinician on board. For that reason, um, how how it came about again, like in many things in my life, random. So people started <laughs> approaching me. Uh, I never, you know, contacted any company asking them like, "Do you need the help of?" Dr. Victor, it was usual like, you know, hey, we created this app. Uh, could you have a look and tell us, you know, is it worth anything or is it going to work or is it safe? Uh, so it's kind of organic reach towards me. What was the first you know, app? What, what was the first app about that reached out to you? Uh, essentially, people like contacted me on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. So, Various companies. So the, I think the first the first uh, first company that contacted me was completely not related to my sort of specialty as a GP. Mm. So company created a, a software that is using plain X-ray to um, to create three D uh, prosthesis of knee or hip uh, mm. using AI model. So essentially, they were looking for some kind of help with uh, finding doctors who could help them test this uh, solution. So sometimes it's like, you know, connecting people. Sometimes it's providing some kind of feedback. Um, but as I said, never planned. It's completely random thing that just happened. Yeah, 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 and 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 do do you think that's going to sort of accelerate in the future, or, or um, is it too early to um, to know? I think so. It is accelerating a lot. So there's there's mm. more and more companies trying to uh, get into into medical market, medical mm. uh, software, and it's for good. Uh, the problem is there's a lot of differences between countries. There's different uh, health healthcare systems. There's different regulation, uh, different way of working. Uh, so there's a lot of need for clinicians to be involved uh, in uh, creation of of digital solutions. And then, luckily, uh, more and more software companies or health tech companies, whatever they are doing, uh, they, are, they are realizing that. Uh, and the earlier they do that, the better, because they sometimes got themselves into a corner when they actually created uh, either app or some other software, which is uh, unlikely to be helpful or it could be uh, dangerous even. They don't uh, have you know, clinical safety officer or some kind of clinician on board from the very beginning. So, so it is developing very quickly. There's there's a lot of uh, uh, requests. There's a lot of actual uh, kind of marketplaces where where clinicians uh, can be matched with um, digital 
Ohio Tech companies to provide various services, uh, various ways of consulting and supporting those those companies. So one of these companies is Adopt a Dog. Is Adopt a Dog is a kind of social enterprise which was mm. created by one of the doctors in Glasgow who had sort of you know similar similar thoughts on on um, collaboration between clinicians and uh, and non clinicians in developing new new solutions and uh, essentially it's a bunch of people willing mm. to help uh, health tech companies. So yeah, I'm not kind of you know, I'm I'm kind of involved in it as a as a as a, as a person that was invited, but I'm not a creator of the of the project. Mm-hmm. And 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 do you, do you have a project that that you're currently putting all your effort into that you want to talk about? Yeah. So from from my sort of experiences uh, as a doctor and personal experiences, I was uh, kind of intrigued about myself. How I, I, uh, what are what are my motivations? What are my uh, intentions in terms of working as a physician? And looking, you know, at current trends where people are uh, more often saying that they consider leaving medicine uh, or leaving the country uh, I thought there's, 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 there's a way around it so uh, I think there's not like black and white you have to work as a doctor only or you have to leave medicine or leave the country I think there's this middle way uh, so I the the longer I thought about it I thought it might be worth you know formalizing it in some way so I I created kind of project uh, which I named Agile Medics, uh, through through which I would like you know to maybe empower doctors and show them how they can uh, carve their own career somewhere in the middle. So it's not like you have to be an NHS doctor. It's not like you have to leave. You can have uh, a bit of both. And uh, the idea of the project is you know to to maybe showcase people or ways of creating portfolio career where you can still to a certain extent be practicing clinician and at the same time have those additional roles which could be different it doesn't have to be health tech this is kind of thing that i've been kind of interested in but people are interested in other things like coaching for example or financial advice so some people are uh, investing in properties while they are still clinicians so i think there's a middle way and that's what kind of been lost in translation with all this negativity all oh, nhs is bad burnout have to leave and so on and and do you think there's more adoption in in the younger generation or is it sort of older generations that have been reaching out to you it's a mixture it's a mixture yeah. i think i think the younger the younger clinicians it may be uh easier for them to think about uh reaching out to different different non-clinical things because they are not that far in their careers uh for for more advanced clinicians later in later stages in their careers obviously is much different and much more difficult 
might be i don't know uh, but but people as i said like you know the, you reach this stage where you plateau you are a consultant and often there's really little more to it you may maybe have some small role somewhere in nhs local leadership role but if you're working full-time it's pretty much the same thing you maybe upskill a bit um, and for many people that's that's not enough and you can branch out so yeah that depending on the stage of the career i think it it's it it presents different challenges and different opportunities and different uh, different kind of mindsets yeah yeah and is it specific for the sort of scotland scene or is that a uk thing or is it sort of a worldwide um, no, I, experience no i don't think so it's it's, it's uh, in any way kind of uh, restricted to a country what 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 i would like to do is like you know uh, show up obviously you know my experience is mostly uk so um, yeah. it might not be necessarily fully uh, easily sort of to translate it into us for example but mm-hmm. the whole the whole idea is you know that i believe that in most most healthcare systems clinicians can can create different pattern of working that is kind of fulfilling without losing uh, this this uh, clinical acumen clinical clinical work uh, while having those additional roles which might be enriching and interesting and may provide additional income yeah yeah no i mean i i, I think it's useful back home in the middle east i think um you know there is a niche for that and a market for that as well because i know quite a few clinicians who have gone off and done other things um, at the expense of their careers and you know if we can show them that there is a path uh, to have both you know particularly if they enjoy the job um, and you know they enjoy their clinical work uh, and you know they'd like to keep their skills going um, but as you said so you know ha- have a more of a holistic uh, uh, approach to careers yeah so th- there's definitely you know not an easy to it's not an easy way to like to make a big decision like I'm leaving yeah. and having this, this, this kind of backup uh, of still being in medicine, even, even as a stage it might be helpful, you know, it makes you a bit, bit kind of safer and more steady on your feet. If you still can do your medicine uh, thing while trying or experimenting with other things. Yeah. 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 Where, where, where would you like to see yourself in, in 10 years time? I would hope I'll be still practicing clinician to a certain extent. Yeah, <laughs> I would. I wouldn't like to lose it. I really like it. I enjoy it. It's 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 good. Uh, it can be, but it can be hard. It can be, you know, frustrating. But overall, you know, benefits outweigh the risks. Uh, so I hope I'll still be a practicing practicing phys- physician uh, to a certain extent. What the future brings, I have really no idea. It's like developing so fast. Like I'm talking to you today, uh, like a year ago, I would never thought like I'd be talking to someone on the podcast. So yeah. yeah, future is unknown. Give us an idea. Give us a kind of, you know, you know, look into your crystal ball and what do you see? I, I, would, I would hope that I will be maybe more involved in education and training of doctors. Mm. Uh, this mm. is the thing that I 
particularly find uh, fulfilling and interesting. Like you said, what was the difference after my spell of burnout? So as I said, like I regained this passion for medicine and then it's definitely to a certain extent, thanks to having students. So working with students and junior doctors uh, gave me this kind of boost and uh, re kind of reminded me what is it about. And I think people enjoying, you know, sitting with me and working with me when they are training. So I, th I think it's one of the domain that I will definitely dedicate more time. Well, that's that's very uplifting. I mean, I'm 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 thinking of taking up a um, a more serious uh, teaching post as well. And you know, I must say, it does make you younger, and it does make you think about the long term a lot more, yeah. and about you know what kind of legacy you want to leave behind, which is yeah. you know which is very motivating and you know very uplifting um, spiritually um, as well as physically. Yeah. Um. I'd like to end on this. What 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 would you tell yourself, you know, the Victor that came here to Brighton, you know, um, and haven't experienced what you've experienced over the last 15, 15 years? What what is your three top tips you'd you'd tell him? Medicine is a great great profession, opens a lot of <laughs> doors, but it's only a job. So remember that life outside the job. Oh, that would be my first thing. The second thing, keep connected with your relatives and friends. That's definitely one of the things that will keep you going uh, at good and bad times. And the third thing, uh, don't don't remember to take care about yourself. Uh, just sometimes be selfish and uh, do something for yourself. Wonderful, wonderful. That's absolutely great. How 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 can people get hold of you? What's the best way, Victor? I think this is through LinkedIn, uh, where they have, you know, access to my email and they can message me directly. Wonderful. It's been absolutely great. And um, I'll see you around. Stay in touch. <laughs>